Hi there, I'm Adam Young, editor of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, and this is The Lead. In this weekly podcast, we highlight some of the big stories impacting Lubbock and the South Plains. I visit with a few of our reporters. We talk a bit about what they're working on and stories they expect to share in the coming days. So let's get started. Now I'm joined by the Avalanche Journal's government reporter, Alex Driggers, and our trends and breaking news reporter, Matteo Rosilas. We've got a few updates, mostly on uh, K through 12 for this week's episode. You know, Alex has been following a uh, very unfortunate um, incident that has been getting a lot of attention locally and nationwide and beyond um, from up in Plainview that... Uh, the, involving a kind of an incident of sexual in nature involving some first graders uh, that you've been following this for a couple of weeks now. How did you originally tipped off to this, Alex? Yeah, Adam, I received a uh, text message um, a couple of Mondays ago on May 1st um, just telling me that there were some parents and some folks protesting outside of the administration office at Plainview ISD. And uh, so I started looking into that and I talked to some of the folks that were protesting and I learned that there had been an incident in a first grade classroom at South Elementary School in Plainview a few weeks before in mid-April where a, uh, a you know two first grade students were involved in a sexual incident and so uh, what some of those parents and and family members of those first graders said was that a first grade girl was forced to perform a, an act that was sexual in nature on a classmate. Um, so folks were really upset about that, and they were specifically upset that uh, the school district allegedly did not communicate well with those parents after this incident occurred. They were also upset that the teacher was in the room and um, were asking questions like, how could this happen um, if these students were being supervised? Um, so this was all recorded on a school district issued iPad. Um, it was later discovered two days later. And the school district says they tried to call those parents um, that same day when that content was discovered. There was an investigation into it and the school district concluded their investigation um, just late this past week and issued a statement um, saying that um, the incident was quote, mutual inappropriate sexual contact, end quote, and that there was uh, no struggle or cry for help during the incident. Understood. And so obviously a lot of this played out on social media, you know, as these things usually do with the outrage growing and um, the speculation um, playing out. But before the school district released this rather thorough statement with their version of the events, right? Correct. Um, a lot of speculation on multiple sides of this incident playing out on online, on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, folks from outside of the area have gotten involved in the conversation and it's become a, uh, a incident that's been featured in um, local and even some international news outlets. But, but a lot of uh, speculation and a lot of outrage on social media. There was also a second protest on um, the following Friday 
out in uh, Broadway Park, and um, that caused the school district to cancel some baseball games that were also going on in Broadway Park that evening. Um, and a lot of the discourse that's happened on social media um, spilled over into the next week when the school district canceled classes on Monday and Tuesday last week, um, citing threats of violence um, aimed at the school and its faculty and staff. Now, we're not sure if they were referring specifically, you know, just to the protests or if there were other things that came in via, you know, email and other channels. But the school district did go ahead and decide to cancel classes on Monday and Tuesday. There were additional threats aimed at the school on Wednesday, but the district went ahead with classes um, with increased security presence at each of the campuses. And that became an issue at a lot of uh, schools across the region. And I think you said a lot of them were in the southwest part of the U.S. Yeah, we saw threats to various schools on uh, Wednesday was when we really started to see this happening outside of Plainview, um, across multiple states in the southwest, specifically Texas and New Mexico. And we saw several of them here on the South Plains, um, Lockney, Olton, Plainview, uh, Clovis, Hobbs, Roswell over in New Mexico. Um, and one 15-year-old male was actually taken into custody in Floyd County in connection with some of these threats. But we did see um, similar threats continuing to circulate via uh, specifically Snapchat on Thursday and even into Friday uh, across the South Plains and Panhandle. And then looking ahead later this week, you're anticipating the um, Plainview ISD uh, Board of Trustees will uh, meet and you're already expecting uh, ex continued protests of this as well? Right. Uh, the school board will meet on Thursday evening in Plainview, and I've seen lots of tr chatter on social media about folks planning to protest at that um, at that meeting. Um, some even uh, coming from outside the region and uh, spending the night um, to make sure that they're able to get to that protest. Um, now, the folks that have organized this are specifically um, emphasizing that it is a peaceful protest. And so they're not calling for violence or anything like that, but um, we are expecting a pretty large crowd to be at that school board meeting on Thursday night. Understood. You know, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of this uh, tension's coming at a time where we're kind of winding down this school year. And just that's a good transition point to a, um, I guess a news release or a, a, I guess a media event that, uh, Mateo, you went to last week where Lubbock police were uh, going over the juvenile curfew ordinance, trying to get ahead of that, ahead of the end of school, right? Yeah, this is the juvenile curfew directed enforcement. And this comes from um, city council after they voted for this um, several months ago. Um, and this is basically an, an ordinance that has already been in existence. It's always been there, um, but this is just a program to make sure that it's enforced in a more positive and well-mannered way. Um, so this one is basically saying that um, from midnight to 6 a.m. from Thursday to um, Saturday, or partly Sunday morning, um, juveniles can't be on the streets. Um, they have to be at home um, with parent supervision. If they are out, they have to be having um, a parent with them, or at least an of age adult. And so uh, there will be six officers involved in this event um, during this time period. Two of them will be uh, uh, stationed at the East Patrol Division. And that's where they're going to be supervising yeah. the... Yeah. So, and then four other officers will be around Lubbock patrolling. Um, they, that will be their job is patrolling to make sure that um, there's no juveniles outside of... Um, 
during this curfew range. And then if they do get picked up, they will get cited. And so will the parents get cited. Um, and they will bring them back to the um, East Station where they will have a room dedicated to them to at least chill out for a little bit and make sure that they're okay. Um, they can talk to some officers about just anything. It's mainly, they're trying to make sure this is directed towards community building um, to ensure that these kids won't do it again. Um, so they're hoping that these citations and um, them talking to officers will ensure that they have this open dialogue with the community and to make sure that it just doesn't happen again. And the goal here from my understanding and I imagine yours is to just kind of help keep uh, in our, our young people from getting in trouble? Yes. So it's help to help some of these um, more localized crime, such as uh, robberies and car burglaries, stuff like that, to make sure that they ha are going to go on the decline. Um, they usually see an increase during summer months. So they're hoping that these summer months will have provide some more data about that, um, those kind of incidents, and hopefully see a reduction in those crimes. Kind of on a different track, you've also been over really the last few months looking at the uh, movement and the uh, bills filed by our state legislatures, our st state legislators, um, lawmakers across the state. Uh, what are some moving parts that you're keeping an eye on heading into this week? Yeah, so by the time this podcast published, it's going to be 14 days till deadline. So May 29th is Sendai or the end of the session. Um, so all bills have to be passed before then. Um, we're coming up on some deadlines. Actually, last week was a very important deadline for the House that killed some of these bills that were already in committee or kind of stuck in committee or just being introduced into committees at that point. Um, so that deadline kind of ended all those bills. So now they're trying to focus on... Um, some of these bigger bills that are going to come before them, and especially some of these Senate bills um, that have passed um, from the Senate. Um, but the biggest one that right now we're kind of tracking right now is going to be House, House Bill 2127, which is um, created by boroughs. And that one's just kind of restricting limitations um, on city governments and uh, county governments as well, just trying to restrict what they can do in order to make a more or less a, how would you put it, Alex, a more... I would say Burroughs' goal with this legislation, um, he says, is just kind of to even the playing yep. field to make sure that all uh, city and county and other local governments are all able are all kind of uh, capped in the same way and able to do the same types of things. Yeah, and it's mainly for businesses and people that are traveling to different cities or states or sorry, different cities, um, just to make sure making sure that the rules are staying the same. So there's not a, one city has a different rule about working limits and another city has different rules. So just making sure everyone knows what their um, rules are across the state. Um, but it did get out of committee in the Senate, so it passed in the Senate committee by six votes. Um, and so now it's going to be brought to the Senate floor for a final vote. And then from there, it's going to go to the governor's desk if it passes. Obviously, this sets up the continued debate that we see every session about local control. Mm -hmm. and imagine we're probably anticipating you know, uh, more of that to continue in, in the coming days as they debate that. Yes, and we'll closely watch this one. And then Alex, on a much lighter note, you've had a, you had a fun opportunity to pursue a story uh, that should have dropped this last weekend about uh, Friendship ISD's announcement on a new orchestra program. Yeah, I appreciate your use of a pun there with a lighter note. Um, I, I know you didn't do that on purpose, but <laughs> yeah, it, it was good. Um, yeah, Friendship ISD has announced this past week that they are starting an orchestra program in their schools. They'll be the third Lubbock area school district to have one behind Lubbock ISD and Lubbock Cooper ISD. And uh, it's just another opportunity for students to get fine arts education, you know, um, 
we've got students that play in uh, the youth orchestras of Lubbock and other um, ensembles and programs like that. Now they can, they'll actually have an opportunity to do it in school uh, for course credit. And this new uh, director they brought in to, to lead this, what's her background? Uh, well, her name is Darcy Radcliffe. Uh, she's been an orchestra director for a long time, most recently serving in Abilene ISD for more than 20 years. And um, I spoke with uh, Dr. Ryan Smith, the director of the fine arts programs at Friendship ISD last week. And he told me that Dr. Radcliffe is a very innovative uh, educator, that she's um, done lots of good things um, during her time in Abilene and, and been really successful. So he's excited to have her up here on the South Plains. It's a really exciting opportunity for students to be able to, I mean, they've already had band and, you know, things like that, but this just uh, opens up a different avenue, different style of music, different instruments. Right. It's, it's another opportunity for students to explore um, in the fine arts. And it, it, uh, it will be available in sixth through 12th grade. So um, just like in band, um, where you start out in sixth grade learning as a beginner on an instrument, I might choose the trumpet or the clarinet or the flute. Um, now we've got options like violin and cello um, as well. So more options for students to explore who may be interested in different things. And a great opportunity for area music stores too. <laughs> Absolutely. I can imagine. Although um, Dr. Smith did tell me that Friendship ISD has purchased some instruments. So um, I'm not sure if uh, uh, what the requirements will be on that, but uh, um, they're definitely coming into this next school year when this program launches well prepared. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for the update, Alex and Mateo. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. There's a lot going on around our community, and we love your story ideas and tips. Please feel free to reach out to me at ayoung at lobbaconline.com, give me a call, or hit me up on social media. Here's hoping the week ahead brings great news and developments to Lubbock in our area. The lead is produced with the help of the Avalanche Journal's trends and breaking news reporter Mateo Rusilis and photo editor Annie Rice. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to checking back in with you next week.